praise the name of Jesus. Can you feel it? Can you feel His presence? Hallelujah. It's just going to grow. Because it's all about Him. We won't touch the glory. Revival is the sovereignty of God. It's not the prayer of one person. It's not just the response of one person. It's the response of the unity of His body. That when we all desire and long the same thing, how good it is for men and brethren, sisters, to dwell in unity, that the oil may come down upon the whole body. It's the response to the whole body saying, we desire to seek your face and we desire to know you. We desire to be in your presence. God is forming a unity. God is forming a hunger and a thirst to where we all hunger and we all thirst for the same thing at the same time. And all of a sudden, God just comes. Because the atmosphere is prepared for Him. That's what God is doing. I want you to look with me this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. We won't touch that glory. We will not praise Him. He's a jealous God. We will not share that glory with no one. But glory to Him. I want to talk to you, continue talking about the unusual and the presence of God. But I want to talk to you today about being smitten by God. Have you ever been smitten by God? Have you ever been smitten by someone when you fell in love? And you started singing, when I'll fall in love with me forever. Huh? Have you ever been smitten? Moses was smitten with God and never got to go as deep as he desired to go. Because there hadn't been the blood of Christ shed yet. But I want you to see in Deuteronomy chapter 4. I want to read verse 6 and I want to read out the message translation. Pay attention. I'm teaching you the rules and the regulations that God commanded me. So that you may live by them in the land you are entering in to take up ownership. Keep them. Practice them. And you'll become wise and understanding. When people hear and see what's going on, they'll say... Wow, what a great nation. So wise, so understanding. We never saw anything like this. Yes, what other great nations has gods that are intimate. Say intimate. With them the way God, our Lord, is intimate with us. And always ready to listen. Intimate. And then jump down to verse 33. And this is the English Standard Version. Verse 33. Moses continues, Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation, take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? Listen to this now. By trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, and by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God and there is no other besides Him. Out of heaven He let you hear His voice, that He might discipline you. And on the earth He let you see His great fire, and you heard the words out of the midst of the fire. And because He loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with His own presence, His own presence, say that with me, His own presence, by His great power, driving out before you the nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you and give you the land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it in your heart 
that the Lord your God in heaven above and on the earth beneath, there is no other. Amen. I want to talk to you today what Moses was saying. Lord, only by your presence are we going to be different than any other nation. Only your presence can make us different. Listen, church, I believe what God has wanted to do in America is not the name of a church, is not who pastors the church, is not how beautiful the facilities are. What's going to make a church different than other churches is the presence of God. What makes a believer different than other believers is the presence of God. We put so much emphasis on faith, and we need emphasis on faith. We need emphasis on our confession. We need emphasis on all those type of things. But what changes situations and what brings the guidance and what brings direction is the presence of God. The presence of God is what guides His people. For example, I've been in 12 different countries. In every country, I, could, I, I run into people with a character like Brother Massey here and his wife. I run into people who, who act like these two fellows and have their personalities. And There's a Floyd in Argentina. There's a Buddy in Belize, in Guatemala. There's a Chris LaRue in, 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 in Chile. And, and, and everywhere you go, pe- people, and I mean this in a good way, People are people wherever you go. You can find somebody with the same personality and character. You can find a Bob in Mexico. I mean, wherever you go, I mean, you find people are people, and they have their good qualities, and they have their few little weaknesses, whatever they are, if they have any. But wherever you go, people are people. But what changes believers is the presence of God. What changes the way we talk and we act, and Moses was saying, all the other nations, even greater nations than little video Israel. Here's this little Israel. They were slaves. None of them were educated. They were born into slavery. They had been in slavery for 400 years. What makes the difference with this tidy little nation? It's your presence. It's the intimacy that you have with this nation. And when Christians say, Pastor, I feel dry, then you need more of His presence. I don't know what I believe anymore than you haven't been in His presence. I'm having trials and troubles in this place, area of my life. Then you need to go more into His presence because His presence changes you. You hear me, church? You know, years ago, back in 84, when um, my mother had passed away with cancer and we went to language school, we started a church in Mexico and we were, our church was a tin roof with no walls and we were standing there, had a bucket of water where the rainwater would come down and that was the water. And we were standing there and I, I'd put a board on top and that'd be my pulpit, the, bunk, the, uh, the barrel of water. And I was preaching from there and we just had a handful of people and this lady came up and she said, uh, I, I've got breast cancer. And she started telling the pain and the hurt she had. And when she said that, the enemy had already been tormenting me because I was fighting God. And I was saying, why did my mom die? Why did she have to suffer so? And I was going through all of these things. And when this lady came up and said, I've got breast cancer. And I walk like this because when people rub up against it. And she went into details that I remember that my mom went through. And when she said that, I was in front of people. It was like I was pushed back against the back wall like this. And I felt blankets just coming on me. 
and I started suffocating. And I was in front of the people and I was suffocating. I could hear, I could hear laughters of the devils just laughing and mocking. I could hear them saying, where's your good God now? Now what you're going to do? Now how are you going to pray for that lady? How can you pray the prayer of faith when you know that it didn't, the prayer of faith didn't work for your mom? And all these voices and all these laughter and there I was suffocating. And I was just right there thinking I was getting ready to panic in front of all the people and I couldn't see nobody. I was in total darkness and it was, it was probably just for a second, but it felt like an eternity and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get out of it. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God rose up on the inside of me. And when the Spirit of God started rising up on the inside of me, it was like all them blankets were just ripped and pulled to the side. The voices were silenced and a voice came out of the inside of me and I walked back up to that lady and I put my hands upon her and I came against that curse of cancer and I commanded it to go in the name of Jesus. And she went to Matthew Mortis to get an x-ray. And when she came back, the x-ray showed that all the cancer had left her breast and left her body and it was proven clinically that she was healed. The presence of God will turn you into a totally different person. It will make you what you yourself cannot be. It will surpass your mind, your thoughts, and your imagination. It's the presence of God. I was reading in 1958... It's written in history that ship after ship would come from other nations. And when they would get about a mile away, they called it the zone. And in 1958, when these ships would get close to America, all of a sudden, a presence would come upon the ships and they would start singing hymns and they would start praising God. And before they would get to America, they would start throwing their alcohol overboard. And wives would write in their diaries, my husband's a sailor. And he came back a whole lot different than the way he went. And there's just something about the presence of God. Jonathan Edwards wrote in 1735, every house, business, and the whole town was filled with the presence of God. In the Welch Revival, preachers totally was taken over by the Holy Spirit. Town halls were on fire. And listen to this. Children, Sister Leanne, children would preach and give altar calls. Many would get awakened in the night and didn't know where, know that a prayer meeting was going on or where it was going on, but they would get up during the night and go outside and they would be led to prayer meetings two, three, four in the morning. The presence of God. It's a vivid personal manifestation of what God wants us to know and what God wants us to feel. Amen. Last week I shared with you about Peter. God was Jesus came walking upon the waves and the storm was so strong. And Peter, in the presence of God, said, God, if you, if you want, I could come meet you. And Jesus said, come. And I told you that as he was walking. Of course, you know the story. He sank. And then he cried out to Jesus. And it says Jesus reached out his hand, extended his hand, which is an invitation to the supernatural power of God, and, 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 and pulled him up. Brother, if you'd help me again. Uh, but I saw that word caught and, uh, in Spanish. In the Spanish Bible, it's asio. And I said, that word has to mean something. And I even called Argentina and I told my pastor down there, get your books. We're having a Bible study on the phone. Interpret this in Spanish and in the Spanish books. And asio doesn't mean just catch. It means to grab by the shoulders and to hold there and to look in the face and follow me. Walk with me. And it means to go back like this. And they went back to the boat. I told you, don't get your eyes off of me. I told you, don't get your eyes off of me. And they went back to the boat. And that word caught is also, as I told you last week, it means to embrace. It means to pick up. It means to let in. 
It means to take on, and it means to keep. And Peter got a hold of that. And as you know, thank you, Brother Buddy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) And as you know, Peter later down the road denied Christ after having that type of contact. Even after that. How many know we'll have contacts, we'll have moments, and then we'll go and we'll blow it. But oh, God comes back again. God comes back again. Thank God He doesn't leave us or forsake us. Amen. He comes back again and He takes us up. But what I want to share with you, that hand there, He extended His hand. That hand means an invitation to the supernatural. How many of you know the Bible says that God's hand made the universe and the galaxy? That hand, do you realize it's that hand that is upon you when you call upon God? Listen to these things here. The distance from the sun to the earth is 93 million miles. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Light can travel to Neptune from the sun in just over four hours. A light year is the distance that light travels in one year. The Milky Way galaxy is 100,000. Now remember, one light year is 5.8 trillion miles. One light year is 5.8 trillion miles. The Milky Way is 100,000 light years away. The cosmos is estimated at 13 billion light years, light years wide. And in Genesis it says, And God created the heavens. A half a sentence created all that men still don't know and understand. A half a sentence. A half a sentence. And it says he took a sand and he put one grain of sand in his hand. And he measured all the beaches in the land. And then he got a drop of water in the other hand. And he measured all the lakes, rivers, and oceans. And he formed the earth and he balanced it by just one grain of sand and one drop of water. He created the earth. That is the hand of God. That your hand be upon me, O Lord. That your hand will guide me and lead me. That's the magnitude that we're seeing about the hand of God. And Deuteronomy 5.15 says, Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God caught you out with His strong hand and powerful arm. And then as we were talking about Peter, the word caught means to take up on one's shoulders, to take upon oneself and feel his hands upon your shoulders. You know, the thing about it is, is that many times we wonder, you know, uh, how are things going to change? How are things going to happen? But it's the presence of God that changes things. I shared with you, and I won't go into the story, that when I was six years old, the presence of God came upon me. And I just started crying, and I, I went up front, and the pastor who didn't know what to do with me, so he sent me out back with my dad, and we went in the back in the Sunday school room, and my dad kept telling me, are you hungry? No. Do I, what do you want? No. But once you, ex- I said, all I want is Jesus. And he didn't know what to do with me. Once you experience the presence of God, you'll never forget it. There may be some here today say, I've been to church, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but, but I've never experienced that. Well, that's why we're talking about the presence of God, because most of Egypt, most of Israel, they didn't experience, but Moses and Joshua and Caleb did. Just because you haven't experienced before don't mean that you don't go into the mountain of God and experience for yourself. I'll never forget when God called me to the mission field and the presence of God that I felt upon me there. I'll never forget the presence of God that when God confirmed and told us to stay here and not go back to Argentina, and we did the presence of God. You will never forget the presence of God. You won't forget the presence of God on others. 
I know something that touched me. And I, as a Southern Baptist boy, I rededicated myself every Sunday. How, how many ever did that? Every Sunday morning, I was at the altar rededicating myself. And my dad would preach, and he would tell the story about when he was a child. He hated my aunt. Him and my he he'd put rattlesnake, dead rattlesnakes in her sheets, and there's nothing he wouldn't do. And he would tell her, "I hate you." And they did not get along. And my dad was 12 years old, and. Uh, one day they were going to church and he had to go. My grandma made him go to church. So he was in the front seat with my aunt. But he had the window down because he couldn't even stand to breathe the same air as my aunt. And he was looking at the calves and he was thinking, boy, I hate this. And she tried to talk to him. Father, she says, you know, Calvin, she says, if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to die and you're going to go to hell. And he was, oh, yeah, just shut up. And he had his nose out the window. Didn't he want to breathe the same air she was breathing? He remembers seeing all the white-faced white cast as he was passing by. And he went to church, and my aunt played the piano, and he was on the back row, and he wasn't even paying attention. And he said, he, and, and I remember the story since I was in first grade, that he says my aunt was playing the piano, and he was on the back row. Nobody could see him. And all of a sudden, everybody in front of him in the church, it seemed like they just parted. And when he looked over, he could see my aunt on the piano, and she looked at him. And she put her head down and she started praying. And at that moment, the presence of God came upon my dad. Even though he had hated her and even though he hated his life and so many other things, the presence of God came upon him. And when the altar call came, my dad ran up front and he gave his life to the Lord. You won't forget the presence of God. It'll keep you, it'll keep you from ever backsliding if you let it. It keep you on fire. It keep you seeking God. It keep you into worship and praise. It will keep you into everything because once you experience the presence of God, you don't ever want to go back. You don't ever want to get away from it. Why? Because you're smitten. I want you to look with me in Exodus chapter thirty-three. Exodus chapter thirty-three. I don't know, we need an encounter with this touch. You know, James Robertson, if you watch him on TV, on TVN and other channels, James Robertson, he, he's a, a preacher and he raises up money for the hungry. That man will start weeping like that on TV. He's such a meek and, and such a loving man, such a compassionate man. He gives his life to ministering to the needs of people, helping with water, food, whatever it is. He's always been such a giver. But the thing about Brother James Robertson is years ago, he was, a, he was known as a mean preacher. He was mean, he was angry, he was mad at home and at church. And he's just a mean preacher. But then he went through something. And as he was going through something, God started doing something in his heart. And he ran into the presence of God. And now he's a totally different person. One of my heroes growing up and still is, is T.L. Osborne, a great evangelist from the 40s even to this day. Now he's up in his 80s still holding crusades. T.L. Osborne and his wife Daisy had been missionaries to India. And they were mocking him and making fun of him and nothing was happening on the mission field. But one day Jesus came into his room. Didn't say nothing. He just let him see him. And he says, I am Jesus. And he went back to India and he started preaching the Jesus that was alive. And with that presence of God that came to his room, they went back to India. And they have had hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people saved in the crusades. Why? Because the presence of God changes them. And I want you to see here in Exodus chapter 33. I want to look at verse 1 and 3. 
And then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it and I will send my angel before you. Boy, that caught his attention right there. And I will drive out the enemy, so forth and so on. And he goes on to say, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way for your stiff, stiff necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned and they took off their ornaments and so forth and so on. And God continued to say, you are stiff necked people and I could come up into your midst at one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Jump on down to verse uh, nine. And it came to pass that when Moses entered into the tabernacle, the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked to Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the tabernacle's door. And all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, the young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, You say to me, bring up this people, but you have let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. Remember, the presence of God brings the guidance of God. Show me your way. That I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider this nation is your people. And he said, my presence, say with me, my presence, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate and your people and I from all the people who you are upon the face of the earth. The presence of God sets you apart. It sets your family apart, your house apart. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight that I may know you. And he said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, for I am gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see my face and live. Now, what I want to tell you right here, what I want to share with you for, for just these last few moments, I've I got to go through this quickly, is that I, you read, and so many times I have read, that God would speak to Moses face to face. When you look that word up in the Hebrew, it says that God would speak, that God would speak to Moses as we would speak to a neighbor. He would speak to Moses, and it says right there, as he would speak to a friend. But what Moses was crying out for, church, is I want to speak to you like you used to speak to Adam. I don't want to speak to you as a friend or a neighbor. And that Hebrew word is the word acquaintance. I don't want to speak to you and you speak to me just as an acquaintance, as a friend. I want to speak to you and see you as a son, sees a father. And you see, God says, I'll show you my back. The back represents the law. You can only see my back, but one day... My son will come and make the way that all who enter in will not see me face to face as an acquaintance or friend or a neighbor, but they will see me as a son. And that word there, when it says presence, 
It means, I, don't, I won't go if your presence don't go with me. He was saying, I don't know no angel by name, but I know you by name. And your name is Yahweh. Your name is Jehovah. Do you know uh, a while back Ray Hughes was saying that if you get the, uh, some, a place where you get some sand and you put a little pile of sand together and you start singing the vowels in Hebrew, that the letters in Hebrew, that when you're singing the letters in Hebrew, the sand will start forming those letters as you sing. It only happens in Hebrew as the sand starts forming the letters that you're singing in Hebrew. How many of you know that if the sand can respond to the letters spoken in Hebrew today by a man, how much more can our flesh and our body respond to the voice of our God who cries and calls us by name? But I'm talking about that intimacy that many times we wonder, what's wrong with the church? What's wrong with me? Why don't I feel anything? Maybe you're just an acquaintance with God, but now it's time to get in deeper and get to know God. It says he spoke to Moses face to face. I've got some good neighbors. Larry Holmes is my neighbor where we live on Circle Drive. Larry Holmes, he's on his side of the fence. I'm on my side of the fence. He says, hey, pastor. And we talk and have a good time. He goes to another church. We talk. He's given me a book before. I've given him some things. We've got a great relationship, but he's just, all, he's just my neighbor. When, when Cody was about eight or nine, I, I used to travel a lot around other states, and Cody would go with me because my wife was always expecting so he'd travel with me and he would work my tape table. Here he is, eight, nine years old, and we traveled New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, Mississippi. We've traveled all over. And we would, we would sleep in the same bed. Now, not long ago, Jake and Shane and I, we, we went to a conference in Texas and uh, we didn't sleep in the same bed, but they slept in another bed. And when they woke up in the morning and I looked over there, well, you know, <laughs> wasn't nothing much worth looking at. Of course, it was the same thing. They were looking at me. But when Cody would go with me and they'd put us in the same room and we'd sleep in the same bed and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd look at him and he had a lot. His hair was real blonde back then when he was young and all his little freckles that he had. And I'd just lay there and wait to see my son wake up. And I'd just look at him and Look at his face. He always had a smile. He'd wake up and have that crooked smile. And he still, you run into him in the kitchen first thing in the morning, he still has that crooked smile. He'd give you that smile. And there's something about the face of my son like there's something about the face of my wife. Just laying there and looking at those nice big lips. Look at those nose and the eyebrows and the eyes. And that's what Moses was saying. I've seen you and known you as an acquaintance. But I want to see you as someone intimate and close to me. And the church needs that type of relationship. And you know, we had that wedding yesterday. And I'm standing up here and I'm looking and and like any wedding. And I can look across and I can see a lot of people. And people have different looks. And their looks are like, I'm happy. Oh, look how cute they are. But when you look in the eyes of the bride and groom looking at each other in the eyes, and they're saying, I promise to love you. I promise to care for you. I promise to meet your needs. I promise to be yours and yours alone until death do us part. As they're looking in the eyes, you see something in their eyes going back and forth to one another that nobody else in the audience has. 
And church, God looks for that look in our eyes when we pray and when we worship. Guy and Christy sang a song yesterday. And they started off one of our favorite songs. And if you've ever seen Robin Hood, it's on the movie. But anyway, it's look into my eyes and you will see what you mean to me. Something about the eyes tell what the mouth cannot say. Search your heart, search your soul, and you'll find me there. And you'll search no more. Don't tell me it's not worth trying for. You can't tell me it's not worth dying for. You know it's true. Everything I do, I do it for you. Take me as I am. Take my life. I would give it all. I would sacrifice. You know it's true. Everything I do, I do it for you. There is no other love like your love. There, there, and no other could give more love. There's nowhere unless you're there all the time and all the way. How many know that is what God is looking for? Amen. That intimacy between a man and a woman. I, uh, I had to watch some chick flicks with my wife this week. And, uh, of course, we, you know, we watch them all the time, and I enjoy them, too. But as we were watching these chick flicks, you know, there was something interesting that happened. And you've probably seen them on movies, too. This man and this woman, are they think they're totally in love, and he's got a crush on her. And finally, it comes his time to, to get with her and, and to get to meet her and see how it's going to go. And they go to have their first kiss. And for maybe years, they thought, man, he's the right one, she's the right one. And they go to have that first kiss, and they kiss. And they go, oh. hmm. What do you think about it? Felt like my sister. <laughs> yeah, I know. Felt like my brother. You want to try again? So they kiss again. <laughs> and they go, oh, no, never mind, never mind. And then all of a sudden, a little while later, they end up kissing this other guy or girl that they had known. And oh, skyrockets in flight. I mean, they kiss. That's, we connected. And we saw another movie, the same thing. Kissed? Nope, that wasn't it. But when they kissed the right one, there was a connection. And you're saying, what is all this talk about kissing about? Maybe you need to be doing some kissing. I don't know. But what I'm saying is there's an intimacy in the face of God that David even spoke of the kiss of God, the kiss of righteousness. And there's just something that when we come to praise God, God goes, Mm-mm. uh-uh, that's not it. Then we'll sing another song. Or we're looking around, and God's going around. Who is going to connect with me today? No, it's not them. Oh, yes. Yes, that's, that's it. That's the passion. That's the connection. I think I'll just stay right here. Oh, there, that's it. I've connected to God. And Moses was saying, 
I'm tired of talking over the fence and from hidden, hiding behind the rock. I, I want to touch your face. I want to touch you. I want to connect with you. I put down another song as a brand new song by Brian Adams, and you say, "Man, you're using some worldly songs." You know what? They know. Sometimes they know more than we do about connection and love and romance because they're looking for it so hard. Look what he says. I thought I'd seen everything till I saw you. I thought I'd been everywhere till I've been with you. I thought that everyone knew what I knew. And I thought I'd seen everything till I saw you. And I heard that and I said, my God, that's what the glory's about. I thought I'd seen everything until I saw the glory of God. I thought I heard everything until one half sentence created the galaxies. There's so much there. Amen. Psalms 139 verse 1 says, God, investigate my life and get the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know that I'm thinking. And you know when I leave and when I get up back, I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say. And before I start the first sentence, I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead, you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit? To be out of your sight? If I climb the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew in morning's wings to the far western horizon, you find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. And I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It is fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. How many of you know that God is omnipresent? He's everywhere at all times. But listen to me. We can believe, church, let me give you a secret here. We can believe in the omnipresence of God, and we all do. It's one thing to believe in it. It's another thing to open the door to it. Open the door to the omnipresence of God. Lord, you know every area of me. I'm an open book. I invite your omnipresence to come into my life and my heart and see what needs to be changed. Come into my life and change me. The presence of God is a strong sense of God's overwhelming presence coming on the inside of us. Years ago, I remember hearing we were in Argentina and we were in a restaurant. They were showing this video of Guns N' Roses and they were singing this song, Give Me Something to Believe in. And I started weeping because I could see in the face of those singers in the video. They were crying. Their soul was crying out, Give Me Something to Believe in. There's people here. There's people out in this world, so many, who are saying, I want to know what's real. I want to know what's true. And the best preachers can't give it to you. The best songs can't provide it. It can provide means to get to it, but you've got to get into the presence of God yourself. What God is wanting to do right now in our nation and with our people is that we've got to pay the price and spend the time to get in the presence of God. Because the preaching may be good and you can feel the presence come down, the singing can be good, and you can feel the presence of God, but you've got to go before God and say, Lord, I invite your only presence into my life. I need your presence with me right now. I love what Misty Edwards sings. Though I'm poor and needy, the Lord thinks upon me. Though His name is holy, I'm always on His mind. I'm always on His mind. Though I'm weak and lowly, the Lord thinks about me. Though He's high and lofty, I'm always on His mind. I'm always on His mind. I'm in love with God, and He's in love with me. Can I hear an amen? Amen. He'll never leave us or forsake us. I want to finish with just a few points here. But in the day of Zechariah, you can look this up in Luke 1, verse 5 through 10. There were 25 divisions of priests, 18,000 priests. 
The priesthood was 18,000 priests divided in 25 divisions. When Zechariah got to go into the Holy of Holies as he grabbed that lamp and he went into the Holy of Holies, according to some theologians, the day the angel spoke to Zechariah was the only time Zechariah was personally able to go into the Holy of Holies. The day Zechariah approached God was the day that God approached Zechariah. And Zechariah went into the Holy of Holies and he was getting the aroma. Remember I talked to you about the Mexican restaurant. People know where you've been by just the aroma on you. Zechariah walked out of the Holy of Holies and he had that aroma on him and he was a changed man. He had lost his speech because he couldn't speak until that which was prophetically declared would come to pass. But he went into that place, that place of sacrifice, and it was his chance to get into that presence of God. And they had been cursed because they say you're cursed if you're barren and went through all the things they went through their life. But God came to him and said, you are going to have a child and this child's going to be named John and he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. You may feel like you've been living a life of darkness and you might not have experienced the presence of God like maybe you read about in books or, or hear about people's tales. But listen, just because you haven't experienced it to this 7th of June don't mean you can't experience it for the rest of your life. And so I'll give you, I'll end with just a few things for you to do. Number one, we need to learn to plead the honor and the glory to God's name every day. We need to remind ourselves to remind God of His glory. For you, the glory and the honor and the power. Lord, we worship You. Glory to Your majesty on high. We need to plead the honor and the glory to His name. Number two, we've got to plead and declare our relationship with God. I praise You that I'm accepted in the blood and I'm Your Son. And You desire to have an intimate relationship and contact with me and appeal to God on that basis. Number three, we've got to plead and declare God's attributes. You're a loving God, a merciful God. You're a faithful God. You're a God that is good. We've got to plead His attributes. Number four, we've got to declare and pray for the needs of the needy. We can never get our eyes off of the needs of the needy and help them and pray for them. Number five, we have to plead the past answers to prayer. In other words, we need to rehearse the past histories, the past testimonies of how God has blessed us. Instead of saying, God's just not healing me, you need to be thanking Him for the times He did and remembering how He touched you and healed you to build your faith up for that next move of God He's getting ready to bring into your life. Number six, you need to plead the Word. You've got to plead the promises of God. And number seven, you've got to plead the blood. You plead the Word and you plead the blood. What will always bring the sovereign move and revival of God is a church filled of people who daily plead and decree the power of the blood of Jesus. Lord, I decree Your Word. I decree the power that's in Your blood. I decree the glory and honor to Your name. Charles Spurgeon said that the one key that will unlock any door is to remind God about the power that's in His blood. We've got to be speaking about the blood of Jesus. Let's stand upon our feet, please. Tonight, I invite you, we'll be back here at 6 o'clock. I'm going to be speaking on something the Lord put on my heart, changed my message about the Apostle Paul, his message on being the persuasion, to learn to be persuasive. And God is going to turn business people and workers and young people, He's going to turn church into a power, a kingdom of persuasions, persuaders to the way of God. But right now, as we just dim the lights and every head is bowed and every eye is closed, before we dismiss today, I want to give you an invitation. 